you always have to remember, man, it's not only about the quality of the cocktail. It's your it's the, the level, the quality of your hospitality. Any bartender who picks up a bottle of Angostura bitters, they don't question the product. They know people think that I'm making Angostura bitters in my own kitchen. <laughs> uh, <you know. laughs> and I'm honored by that. I'm very thankful for that. Share some good vibes. Don't write anything negative. Don't even put that out in the universe. Don't waste your time with negativity. Okay, <laughs> only positive vibes, all right? Hey guys, this is Mihai from Bar Reviews and today I have the honor to present you my latest interview where my guest was Daniel Jones, the global brand ambassador for House of Angostura. He is a man that doesn't need any more introductions, I think that you know him very well. But what I would like to say to you is that this interview is not like other interviews that you see on the internet. Here we go deep into his childhood, his early days in the bar world and how he managed to become from a simple bartender to a bar personality that has been nominated at Tales of the Cocktail for Best Brand Ambassador in the World. So do stick around and be sure to watch the whole conversation and if you liked it don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it further with your friends. Cheers. Daniel Jones ladies and gentlemen. Hey Daniel how are you? I'm good my brother I'm good thank you for the invitation it is always a pleasure to see you and I just want to give you a, a, a massive, a massive applause for the work that you've been doing, man. I love your content on YouTube. Um, it's really entertaining and very creative. And the quality, excellent, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, I share the same feelings for you. And um, I don't know if you had seen my, la my latest uh, blog post where I have uh, made the top with eight bar personalities, part one to follow in this year. And there was a description about you, which I really think is true. But when I made some research for this interview, I've seen that people from all over the world have the same thoughts. So to, uh, if, with your permission, I'm going to read something that someone uh, wrote about you. So the audience can see what kind of person you are, you know. So here you go. When you see him, you can truly notice the hospitality coming from the heart and running through his veins, the way he listens to people, the way he understands and how he's interacting proves that Daniel is a genuine as they come. Whether he's uh, spreading some angostura love all over the world or walking his dog Aiko in the streets of Paris. <laughs> uh, respect my brother, respect. <laughs> so I think it's true, but I'm very curious. Uh, what kind of dog is Aiko? I've never seen him in your posts. <laughs> uh, you know, Aiko, uh, since since Valentine's was actually uh, just uh, on Sunday, um, and we're sharing this conversation, you know, not too not too far away from that. Um, Aiko was a, a gift to my wife on Valentine's. Uh, so his name is Japanese for love. Oh. So it's Aiko, but there's an accent on the I with two dots. And uh, his name is Little Love. Now, he's a Yorkshire. So, you know, when you think of me having a dog, you think you, you expect to see a big pit bull or a Rottweiler. <laughs> <laughs> you see this cute little dog, you know, but, you know, he's, he's awesome, man. He's, a, he's Little Love and he's just like us. You know, he expresses that love. He's always happy to see any and everyone, every dog he sees. 
So, you know, there's a saying that the dogs look like their owners. He doesn't look like me. He's more like my wife. He's pretty and cute. And, um, <laughs> but, you know, that's my boy. <laughs> I really love dogs. Uh, I used to have uh, an Amstaff for six years, but unfortunately he died. Oh, nice. But now I have oh, two cats who nice. are doing a lot of damage in my house. You know, they are... Oh. <laughs> but I, I really love animals, so... Yeah. I was surprised to see that you are having a dog also. So my first question is, uh, we are standing for, from uh, this quote. What are you doing in Paris? Why why not uh, London or any, any other city? Why did you to want to come to Paris and learn French again and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a story because I don't share much about the personal side of things. So only when I have a conversation like this, I can share a bit more. Uh, so my wife, she's French. She's from uh, Paris. And she lived on the island of Trinidad for a long time with me. And uh, I was traveling a lot. And there was one period where I had to travel like almost two months back to back. And because she lived in the heart of Paris, you know, she wasn't driving. And, uh, you know, so for her, it was really challenging on the island when I, when I wasn't there. So we decided, you know what? I told her, you go back up to Paris and I will meet you on my return from one of my trips and we come back home. And then we started talking during that dinner and we said, you know, what about Aiko? And we started looking to get little Aiko from Trinidad to Paris. And while we were having that discussion, I said, you know what? Why not just move? Let's, let's move. I, I could talk with a company. I move. Paris is central. And that would still allow me to be able to travel to the different parts of the world. And, you know, it's, it's actually going to help me because Paris is so center uh, to Europe, to the Americas, and, you know, to just kind of in that, in that position there. So we came to Paris and that has been the position for me since, you know, for the past three years. My French is getting there, it's getting better. Um, but it wasn't a move to come and work in the industry, into the French industry. Um, but I'm really um, happy to be here because the, the, the bottom this year are incredible. And, you know, I get to really explore a bit more of Europe. And that's why I was able to come to Romania uh, twice, you know, to, to visit you guys. And for me, I, you know, I have to say, I, I keep saying it, man. Romania was one of those places that just really blew my mind because you hear like you just asked me, why not London? Because you have these meccas that we know for bars and for hospitality. And you don't think about smaller places. You don't think about South America. You don't think about certain parts of the world that are not on the mass media uh, front line. Uh, when I came to Romania, man, I was just impressed. Flair tending, mixology, the, the quality of the bars, the quality of the bar shows, everything was just incredible, man. So I've always been excited. And I think the first snippet of that was when I saw you competing in, your, in competitions and I, I, I saw the caliber that you were presenting. Um, it really it really was a, an example of what you guys do in Romania. So I just had to make that plug in, man. I know the question was about me being in France. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's just really that transition. And I think we're open to change as bartenders, you know, you're not afraid to explore because you know, there is a need, there is an opportunity uh, to really get into hospitality anywhere in the world. Yeah, cool, man. Very nice. I've been to Paris three times now and I really love the city and the vibe and the bars. They are top notch. Yeah. And thank you very much for your thoughts about Romania. Romania loves you also. 
And I've seen that you've been further than Romania to Moldova, which is like our brethren country. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you impress the people from there as well. Um, when you started to answer uh, for this question, you said that uh, you don't share too much uh, details about your personal life. And I researched a bit on the internet and that's true. There are very few things. So maybe here, if we start and have a little drink together, maybe we can open up a bit. Because <laughs> well, it, that's what you do, man. Listen, yeah. on the island, right? <laughs> you because... said it right, my brother, right? Because th there's a saying, you know, for me, when we drink on the island, we move from just being friends, but we become family. And that's that's a culture of rum. And that's why I love, you know, sharing the beauty of Angostura because it's one thing to know Angostura. It's another to enjoy Angostura, especially when you have good company. <laughs> Indeed. What do you have there? Right. So what I have here is some Angostura seven-year-old. And, you know, I just love to have it neat sometimes. And this is a mood I'm in, you know, I feel like a little bit of James Bond. I'm dressed up for the interview. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, I, I like to drink based on the moods. For me, it could be a cocktail. Um, but the weather is a bit cold right now. Uh, it's minus three. Uh, so I'm like, nah, I don't need any chill drinks right now. Just something neat, warm. And I get that little spice notes, the oak, the chocolate. Uh, this is what I'm feeling for. <laughs> what about you? What are you drinking? Cheers. So I've made two cocktails now for uh, me and Claudio. I'm uh, raising the glass so that you can see. So I have Angostura seven years, uh, mint leaves, sugar syrup, lime, fresh lime juice, and a bit of uh, love, you know. Here outside uh, is very, very cold, but here in the studio is always very hot. So I'm uh, always yeah. looking for cold drinks so that I can uh, balance a bit. So, <laughs> cheers to you, brother, and thank you very much for. Cheers to you, my brother. How so, do you how do you say cheers in Romania again? We say norok. Norok. Norok, yes. Norok. <laughs> yes. So, here comes the tricky part. You grew up right. in, uh, and sorry for my uh, pronunciation. So, you grew up in po uh, Point Fourteen and San Fernando. From Trinidad yeah. and Tobago. So I'm curious, can you sh uh, share with us how is it to live in such a beautiful country? And by the way, is it true that it is illegal to wear camouflage clothing if you're not from the army there? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to get down there with camouflage, you know, because they take it seriously. Um, if they have, if you have anything that is camouflage, because that's what the military wears. So, you know, you, they don't want anything or anyone wearing anything that may impersonate someone who is, uh, who is from the military. So if you do have camouflage, they will confiscate it. Uh, and if it's a pants, if it's a shirt, you will be shirtless uh, when they're finished with you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, don't, you don't want that. So it is true. Uh, okay, okay. The island is beautiful. The island is, is gorgeous. Uh, you have Trinidad and you have Tobago, two islands. Trinidad is more like very industrialized because we have oil and gas. The islands, we always know the islands for tourism, but Trinidad is not the tourist destination like that. It's, it's a beautiful place and it's a tourist destination because we have one of the number one carnivals in the world, which people come to. We have like a million people coming into the, onto the island just for that event that happens for two days. So it is popular for that. But because we have oil and gas, you find that there's a lot more industries like uh you know there's a lot more restaurants a lot more businesses you see big buildings and a lot of you know um it's very industrialized so a lot more business orientation 
Tobago is where you go because for the for the island vibe, they have you know the a different they have the Atlantic Ocean combined with the Caribbean Sea, so the water is nice and blue and clear. The white sand. They have one of the largest coral reefs in the in the Caribbean there. So, you know, we normally go from Trinidad to Tobago for a mini vacation. <laughs> uh, so that's how we do it. But for me, living on the island, I got to experience the different demographics. And I, I say demographics, meaning uh, I, I lived in Point Fortin. And Point Fortin is, is more like countryside, you know, south side. It's the south side of the island, literally. And so I got an opportunity to climb a mango tree. And do you know what it is to sit on a mango tree, my brother, and pick a mango and eat it on the tree. Listen to me, man. That that is an experience. Those experiences I always cherish. So I got those experiences growing up in the south side in Point Fortin. I moved to San Fernando, which is kind of more city oriented, and then to Port of Spain, which is the capital of the of the country. Um, and I've been in, I've, you know, I've been in Port of Spain since then. So you know, so growing up and experiencing, you know, the south side to the city side has been a nice exposure for me. Um, and that has allowed me to really open up my mindset. That took me, even when I traveled the world, because I've been to, you know, a combination of over 75 countries and cities around the world. So understanding, and this actually kind of created a philosophy for hospitality for me. Because I felt like when I started working, I started at TJ Fridays. And to be honest, I did not have, I did not grow up, you know, with money. I didn't have the nice suits and stuff. I, I I never went to restaurants. So working at TGI Fridays for me was was a big deal. You know, it was the first time I could go into a restaurant. And TGI Fridays is not like a, a fine dining restaurant, but I was so excited to work as a waiter. You know, my first job was just as a waiter. And when I got into the bar and even as a waiter, my philosophy was I would always give every person the same caliber of service, which is going to be the best. So you could be the prime minister, the president, or you could be the janitor of the building. I will give you the same service. And for me, I always felt like that has been the philosophy to this day. So this is the moment when you started Martini Makers, your own business? Yeah, so from from there, um, you know, I my vision was to one day have my own restaurant. You know, I had this vision and I, I worked at TJ Fridays and I said, you know, let me, let me start there, be in that environment to really help condition my understanding. So I worked as a waiter and even as a waiter, I did not know about bartending and I would go one hour earlier to work so I can set up as a, as the waiter, the waiter station. And then I would go to the bar and help set the, the bar up for the guys. And they like that because, you know, it's, you know, I'm coming to help them when they, you know, they don't need it. Um, and I would go in and I would help because I knew that the fastest way to learn um, was by doing this. And my plan was when I'm finished with the bar to go to the kitchen and then one day I could manage one of the, the establishments and maybe one day have my very own. So I had this vision and I think that vision really kept me going. And to this day, I always believe as bartenders, as brand ambassadors, if you don't have a vision, then you're not going to grow. And this is why I applaud you from the very beginning, because this is a global pandemic right now. And, you know, you're going to see if you're not, if you don't have a vision, then you're not going to be able to grow and you have been able to switch and, and adapt and you're being creative and you're using your resources and your talents in a different forum. 
um, and it's working. You know, you have the connections. We can still have a conversation, and hopefully, someone is going to hear this and it's going to help someone out there who hears this. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen a really interesting video on YouTube with you when you are talking about the TTHTI uh, as the Trinidad and Tobago Hospitality and Tourism Institute. So you mm-hmm. you are a student there. How uh, this impacted your uh, professional life? So I said, so I had a vision and that vision, like I said, was to have my own restaurant. And I felt like you either have to be a chef um, or you had, you need to have the money to open a restaurant. And you had and, only $200. Uh, was that? You had only $200. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. I, I, that's all I had. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not a chef. Uh, I don't have the money and, and I don't have investors. So the only thing I had was my creativity. And I believe in my creativity. So I decided to to try, you know, and just go after it. I, I, I concepted it in my mind. I put it down on, a, on paper, uh, you know, and I had this vision for it. And I said, okay, let me go learn about it. Let me go to school to become a restaurant manager. And that's why I went to TTHDI. And there was a beautiful hospitality and tourism uh, degree that they were offering. And um, yeah, so I, I went to it, man. And while I was there, I needed a job. So that's where I went to TGI Fridays and I started working part-time. And um, yeah, but you know, my my introduction into the bar was through that vision of one day having my own restaurant. Um, and, you know, when I got into the bar, I realized how massive the bar was and how challenging it was. So that's why I stayed in the bar for a long time and I built up a reputation. And as I built a reputation, I was given offers and I, I went and I worked for one of the top restaurants on the island and while I was there I learned more about classic cocktails so it was no longer the flaring at TJ Fridays with the pink and the green cocktails you know wearing the the tight suits and the cowboy hat it was now into the classic style of cocktails you know a gimlet to, to Manhattan's to old fashions and then from there to you know to opening my very own business martini makers and Martini Makers was is a mobile bar service company. And I'll be honest with you, man, I'm going to give you a short version of this. When I, when I created the concept of it, you know, it was, we had, we don't have bars, cocktail bars or craft cocktail bars on the island. You know, we drink a lot of rum, but we don't have those creative bars. And when I created Martini Makers, I said, you know, I want to give something of quality. What people see in the magazines and on the photos, I wanted to bring that to life because, you know, they, they don't have that option here on the island. And I remember sharing this with friends who are bartenders around me and mentors that I had at that time. And I'll tell you honestly, man, they said to me, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, no one, no one has been successful. That's not going to work. And I remember saying to myself, man, like, listen, like, Nothing, you know, Nelson Mandela says it is only impossible because someone else has not done it before. And just like you, you are you are taking steps to create. And, you know, as you take those steps to create, it's going to be a risk. You're you're going to try. And as you try, you're going to learn. I don't believe in failure. I believe I'm learning. It's a learning process. I changed that word of failure. Failure is not a thing in my vocabulary. I fall. I get up. I go, I'm learning. It's a learning process. 
So when, when a baby is learning to walk and they fall, do you ever say that they fail? <laughs> no. <laughs> they're not failing. They're learning, you know. They're learning to walk. And for me in life, I'm always going to be learning. And that's why um, I took that path. And it led me to where I am today. And um, that's my philosophy today. I'm going to continue to grow because I have a vision for myself. And, you know, but hospitality is the core and the motto behind it. I have a mantra. It's a biblical mantra from uh, Proverbs. And it says, the greatest of leaders are the greatest of servants. As hospital when we are in the hospitality industry, we it's all about caring. You know, we are the people that that people come to to feel loved and appreciated and cared. I know it sounds very personal, but that's why you go to the bar for the bartender. That's the guy you want to chat with. That's the guy you just want to, you know, share a drink with. <laughs> that's very interesting because I I was planning to ask you about that uh, quote. So you got it ahead of me, but You are talking about vision, so there's a famous quote uh, regarding vision. I think it's something like that. If you can see it in your hand, you can hold it in your hand, something like that. Exactly. Yeah, That's so it. That's it. I totally agree with you because I am a bit stubborn as well, and I don't like, no, you cannot do it. So I always mm -hmm. try to go further. Uh, I want to yeah. talk a, a bit about you, of course, because in uh, 2011 and 2012, You are the best bartender in Trinidad and Tobago for two years in a row. Mm. How that happened? Not not like uh, I'm surprised, but I was curious, yeah. curious the process. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you know, I, it's um, there are always milestones in my life, and I, I'm very thankful. And I don't ever compare myself. Success is not what is not me achieving what you have. Success is looking at where I was to where I am today. That's my success. And um, I always remember when I started Martini Makers, I, like I said, like you said earlier, I only had $200. I, you know, I couldn't get a loan because they were not financing alcohol for small businesses. So I had to start with just little things. I would look at friends like you who are bartenders and I say, hey, can I borrow an ice scoop? a bar spoon and I started doing jobs as bartenders for private events. And if I got, you know, whatever I got, I would split it in half and I put half towards, you know, my, my rents and my whatever bills I had. And then I would always put aside money to, for the business. So I would buy a mixing can. I would buy a, a shaker, I would buy different elements. And, you know, the business grew, it grew over the years to having a warehouse, to having, three trucks, uh, you know, to having a staff, a database of, of close to 100 staff on file because it's part-time. And I'm proud of that. But it started from what I'm seeing to you right now. And I always remember saying, you know, how could I compete with all of these big companies that are doing these large events for corporate clients? And I said to myself, how could I knock on, how could I get into the, to the room to say, hey, I am Daniel Jones. I could do the event for you also if you'd like. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it and I decided, you know what, let me compete in competitions. Because if I compete in competitions, then, you know, I can get some publicity. I could, I could get the corporate clients to see, you know, that, you know, I am, I, you know, I am a respectable person. I am known in the industry. So I started competing in these competitions. In addition to that, I also made it mandatory 
that all of my bartenders who were working with me compete in the competitions also. So it wasn't just a me thing. It was really to create a little bit of buzz for the company. So at the award show, when you had these top hotel restaurants and bartenders from hotels, you know, going up for their awards, if you had 20, 20 contestants, you know, in that competition, you'd have about 10 of them coming from my company. So you kept hearing the name, Martini Makers, Martini Makers, even if we did not win. But I'm thankful to say that uh, for the two years that I competed, I was a national bartender winning the competition. And then I went to a massive competition in the Caribbean called Taste of the Caribbean. And Taste of the Caribbean, it may be small to you. You may not even know the competition, but listen to me, man, this is, this is massive to me. And like I said, my success is where I was to where I am today. And I, I always stay focused on that. So this competition was all of the Caribbean islands, Jamaica, Barbados, Nassau, Bahamas, uh, Guyana, you name it, all of them coming together. And it was like the, a culinary team. So you had a pastry chef, a meat chef, a poultry, fish. Uh, you had a, um, a sous chef, you had the, the executive chef, and you had a bartender. And there are different rounds that you would compete in. So for me as a bartender, my rounds were uh, vodka, rum, and creative. And, you know, for the two years that I competed, I won best vodka, best rum, and most creative cocktails for, the, for, both, for all three categories for two years consecutively. And again, for me, this is coming from a personal passion for it. Um, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. And that gave me a bit more publicity. So on the newspapers, you would see my name, you'd see all the awards. I got articles featured on the island. So now the corporate clients saw that when they opened the newspapers and they would say, hey, let me give this guy an opportunity to do my Christmas event, to do my, my banquet. And this is where the business started growing more for me. And that's what led me to the Angostura cocktail competition because again, I kept doing that. And I won the Angostura Global Cocktail Challenge in 2013. And that took me into traveling around the world. So now I had to kind of switch from the business to of being a bartender to now being a brand ambassador. So I have here a very nice quote for, from uh, Mr. Salvatore Calabrese, yeah. who said in uh, 2014 when you won the uh, Angostura Global Cocktail Challenge, I was very surprised at the professionalism that Daniel displayed. He was creative and produced complex cocktails while displaying all the traits of an excellent mixologist. He showed me that he was a bartender, a mixologist, and an actor that commanded the stage in front of the judges. I respect him. So you impressed <laughs> Mr. Calabrese. Uh, yeah, it, it was, that's an honor, man. Thank you, thank you for bringing those memories back, man. It's, <laughs> I appreciate it, my brother. I appreciate it. So. I know what buttons to, <laughs> buttons to push. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll take a drink for that one, man. Thank yeah. you, my brother. <laughs> so uh, I have a bit of curiosity. When you won... Uh, Angostura Global Cocktail Challenge as a prize. You had one year as a brand ambassador, but slowly but steady, that year has been transformed to almost eight or nine years ago. Yeah. So what happened in the meanwhile? How did you, well, you get know, this great lottery ticket? Uh, you know, it's I wouldn't call it a lottery ticket. <laughs> it wasn't like they said, hey, we're just going to make you the brand ambassador for the next 10 years. Um, it just kept happening progressively you know for me it's always about learning you know um 
like I said, I don't fail. I learn. So if I fall, I just pick myself up and I go. For me, I, I, I when I got into being a brand ambassador, and even for that competition, you're talking about, you know, the Angostura Global Cocktail Challenge. I'll give you a bit of backstory to that competition. Here I am. I've competed against people on the island. And now I'm competing against bartenders around the world, you know, from Romania, from Australia, from Russia, from, you know, you, I'm dealing with the best of the best. And I'm like, man, like, I, I know I, I am passionate about what I do, um, but this is really calling me out. So to be honest with you, I, I did some research. I, I looked at the judges. I knew that the, the competition for me, I, I looked at how to win competitions, how to, I started being very strategic. It wasn't about just trying to become famous. For me, it was really taking this opportunity and seeing how much I could learn. And I, I looked at all the contestants. I looked at their recipes to understand where they were at mentally with their, their, their level of uh, mixology. And then I looked at the judges and the judging panel was pretty, pretty esteemed because you had, like you said, head judge, Salvatore Calabrese. You had um, uh, Wino-san from Japan. Um, I mean, he, I, I have massive respect for him. You had Anne Turnerman, who was at that time the founder of Tales of the Cocktail. You had um, the previous winner. Um, and then you had one of the executives from Angostura on that judging panel. So I looked at each one of them and I said, okay, let me treat these people like they're at my bar. I'm the bartender for them because that's how you win the competition. The so competition is the judges are the ones writing the points, not the audience. The audience could make the noise, but it's the judges. Now, if you can get the audience and the judges, it's good. Um, so I looked at each one of them and I looked, I did like you did, like you normally do research for your interviews. I did the same. So I looked at Calabrese and I said, I saw that he loves, he made his own limoncello. You know, we know about Salvatore Calabrese. He's a legend in the game. I'm like, all right, what's personal to him? And he made his very own limoncello that he has out there. So I said, okay. And I created in that competition a, a version of that, but not his own. I used uh, a different technique. I used an old World War II method where I suspended, where you'd suspend lemons in a, in a, in a cheesecloth about an inch away from the overproof liquid and you leave it for 30 days and the lemons eventually start to drop, the oils from the lemons drop into the overproof. And that's what you use to create the limoncello. So I use a, one of the, the local uh, tangerines that was available on the island to create that, but I use that technique. So I know that's how you start the competition. The judges look at your recipe before they even see who you are. So I put that down and I created my very own homemade Portugal, which is a type of um, fruit that I used, lemoncello. And I'm like, okay, that's going to pique his interest. And then I looked at Wino-san from Japan. Now, during that time, this is 2013, and during that time, vinegar was very popular in cocktails. It was one of those acid elements to, you know, for acidity. So I'm like, okay. And I looked and I found a great aged sherry vinegar and i decided to use that in one of my cocktails and then of course i used um, some classic spirits like uh, chartreuse and benedictine because i knew that antrenamon she loved those classic styles so i'm sharing that because i did the research and i think that was one of the starting points for me that allowed the judges to be able to see that you know i'm able to create a sense of quality 
um, but also, um, you know, just just practice, man. And and I think you know that really got me into that direction. I think I digressed a bit here, but I, I hope I answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And you offer the a lot more. So for the ones that are looking at us, these are very valuable. Uh, advice for the ones who are who will going to compete in the future because yes well yes yeah, so, so let me answer the question so to say to answer the question again that <laughs> principle of learning of doing the research i continue to do that so when i got to be a brand ambassador for one year every event that i had to do every time i had to walk onto a stage and i'm dealing with bartenders like you who are advanced and you you know what do i say to mihai to impress mihai What what can I tell a person like Mihai that's going to impress Mihai? Well, that And Limoncello, to... <laughs> that Limoncello was pretty uh, pretty impressive. So I don't yeah. think that many bartenders now know about that technique. I discovered it, mm -hmm. I think, three or four years ago in an Imbibe uh, in the Imbibe magazine. So for you yeah. to do that in uh, almost 10 years now, that's mm. That's a bit ahead of the game with a lot of a lot of years. Yeah, so kudos yeah. to you. Respect my brother. <laughs> so, so in uh, 2015, you offered for an interview a small bucket list for your personal life and one for your uh, professional life. So mm. I will uh, read them again. And my question for you is how many of the following have you checked yet? So first was okay. make a daiquiri at La Floridita in Cuba. Not as yet, but it will come soon. Okay. I've been to Cuba three times. No, two times, sorry. Um, but the workload was so massive, I've not been able to do that as yet. I've been to La Bogadita, okay. but not to La Floridita as yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Visit Artesian Bar in London. Well, at that time, that's when uh, Simone and Alex, Alex were yeah. here. Yeah, and these guys were just crushing it, man. So I think it will... It's going to shift to visiting Taylor, Thailand Elementary um, in London. That's okay. your new bar with Monica. Um, so I think it's going to, it's just really, you know, you go to the bar for the bartender. So really and truly, I will still visit the artisan, but it, it's really to, to see, uh, to have a drink with Alex. And, you know, I've seen both of them in different bar shows when I travel, but to actually go to their bar and really enjoy the product of their creativity is what I want to embrace. So okay. that's still in the making. <laughs> okay. Eat a live octopus in Korea. Eat a what? Live octopus. Oh, not as yet. I, I was scheduled to be in Korea last year, but we all know what happened last year. 2020 is, is, is one of those years that we'll always remember. Um, so it's in the making. The live octopus, <laughs> I'm, I'm not <laughs> rushing that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, go cage shark diving. <laughs> Woo! I know. Did I, I, I put on some really extreme stuff, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, shark diving, yeah. I, I told my wife about it. She's like, well, you could go ahead. In fact, you know, just just you know, just remember you do have a wife. Like, it's like, you know, listen. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, yeah, it's something that... Um, I will probably try. Uh, I like it's another one of those things I'm not rushing as yet, but I've seen a few videos and it's, it looks interesting. 
but I'm questioning it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> if I have a nice 4K screen, like, is it, you know, I could just watch it on television. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to go in the cage. <laughs> Indeed. So I'm working on that one, but I am, I ambitiously put it down. <laughs> okay. Last one. <laughs> Visit uh, Rio de Janeiro Carnival. Well, yeah, that's, that's a big toss up, man, because our carnival in Trinidad and Tobago happens the same time as Rio de Janeiro Carnival. Ah. And we always we always believe there's this little bit of rivalry between us and Brazil regarding whose carnival is the best. Now, theoretically, I we from the island of Trinidad, we always say that ours is better because it's intimate. In Rio, you find that you're in the stadium watching everyone in the parade unless you go to the street parties. On the island, ours are more like the street parties where you are in you are in the stadium. You are the one dancing and wearing the costumes. So we always felt like it's it's better. Um, and I've you know because I've been to Brazil a few times, I said I need to, I need to really experience this because when you talk about carnivals, you talk about Mardi Gras, you talk about our carnival on the island, and you talk about Rio de Janeiro. So it's one of those experiences I have to see. Is it better than ours? Mm-hmm. So hopefully one day I would I would do that. Yeah. Okay, so let's say the small bucket list is all open, still open. Yeah, those are the the bucket list has been a bit wider um, and a lot less extreme on act, on activities, <laughs> um, but there there are some additional stuff. I think one one st- one I would add to this whole interview would be to really um, be able to to share a bit more on to share a bit more on my experiences as a brand ambassador um, going forward. Uh, you know, that's when I say a bucket list, I think it's really for me to to create and to share more because I we just spoke about some experiences and I had mentors. I would look up, you know, so many people that were mentors to me from Japan to America to London. And to this day, I still have mentors And I feel like it's important to have those kind of people. You, for instance, when I met you the first time, you became one of those people that I started looking at because I love your professionalism. I love your passion. I love your dedication. And I would look at how you would do things. And I'm like, I like that. So I would take that. Let me try that into my, into how I do things. And it's, you know, it's, it's those elements. So, um, It's not a bucket list. It's a. It's more like a vision. But uh, because I've not achieved the things on the bucket list, I'm going to put this one as another thing to achieve, <laughs> which is going to be to share more on on brand ambassadorship. So thank you very much again for your appreciation. So it's uh, interesting that my next question is strictly regarding mentors, and my fir- <laughs> one of my first books that I bought for myself is the Modern Mixologies, written by. Uh, Tony Abu Ghanim, and you said that yeah. uh, Mr. Uh, Tony is one of your mentors. So, have you met him in real life? Oh man, listen to me, man. You would not believe this story I'm going to tell you, man. <laughs> Tony was the first. I remember when I started. Tony taught me how to make a pina colada. Wow. I, I, I went to TJ Fridays. I knew how to make the TJ Fridays pina colada. But I remember learning how to make a pina colada the right way. Well, the Tony Abu Ghanim's way by looking at his videos. This was before YouTube was YouTube today, you know? And I bought, you know, his videos and stuff like that. And I remember one day I got a call from Angostura. This is while I'm being, while I'm the brand ambassador. 
and they said, hey, we want you to come and do a cocktail for a video shoot that we're doing, XYZ, you know. I'm like, okay, great, you know. I go down to the shoot with my tools and everything like that. And guess who's here? Tony Abagami, man. Tony <laughs> is in the house. And listen, man, we, so that evening I did the, I did the cocktail with Tony and Tony was just incredible, man. It was, for me, it was like being in a star-studded room, like, you know, like, man, like I'm, I'm in the room with, with Tony, man, you know, and we did the, the, we did the shoot and they loved the energy of Tony and I so much that we, I did the entire video shoot with Tony Abagami. Like it was, I, I came back for the rest of the week every day because they wanted me to now do it with Tony. Um, so it was such an honor, man, to, 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 to stand there and do a video shoot with my mentor, you know, and I mean, it was crazy, man, you know, making rum Manhattans with the seven, with the Angostura seven year old, um, and just enjoying that while we're on set, while we're shooting, talking cocktails, talking mixology. It, that was an honor for me, man. And again, you see Tony, Tony has been a mentor to me, um, sitting with Dale DeGroff in, Amsterdam last the year before and and talking about daiquiris while we're drinking daiquiris again these are some of the the honors that I've been able to put in my in my archive mentally you know so yeah <laughs> that's very nice what about uh, Gary Regan have you met him pardon who Gary Regan now well actually I saw I saw Gary and I, we we spoke briefly at Tales of the Cocktails this is before he passed away um and we, we shared a little bit of a laugh because, you know, I'm Angostura and this is when, you know, he had his bitches out also. Oh, okay. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I always like to do that, you know, like even, um, you know, Fee Brothers, you know, may he rest in peace also. You know, I remember every time I would see him, you know, and you'd know him, he had this cowboy hat he would always be wearing everywhere and he's really tall and, you know, and, um, and everywhere. But there was always a love, whether it be with the bitters, uh, the people who make the bitters, uh, from the business company to the rum companies, um, it's always an honor because Angostura is appreciated in every circle, you know. And as I represent the brand, I represent the brand with that sense of camaraderie, you know. So this is why I, I, I love hospitality, you know. Like you said, I, you know, you said it's friendship or love, man. It's it's either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. So now I want to ask you a few things about this role that you have as a brand ambassador. So. Because many people think from outside that it's a very easy job. So I read an interview that you you, uh, you sleep only three four hours per night if you have if you have a lot of stuff. How's that balance in your life? How are you managing this? Oh, listen to me, man. I cannot tell you how many people have taken photos and videos of me falling asleep in Uber rides <laughs> while we go to different bars, man. It's like I have this strategy where I take a power nap when we go from one bar to the other. So it's like a like a five minute nap in the in the in the Uber. And then I okay, I'm up. I'm ready to go. Uh being a brand ambassador has its 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 perks of of doing what you're doing um in a different scenario. You know, you're traveling the world, you're getting to share your love, your passion, you're getting to experience a bit of the culture. Um, it's not the touristy type of 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 travel because I visit bars. So yes, I may taste some of the food. Sometimes I may have a day or two of maybe more, most likely it's just a day where I can do some exploring um, and maybe a bartender or some friends might share that experience and allow me to, you know, be a tour guide for me. 
But many times it's a very tight schedule. As soon as you land, sometimes as soon as I land from the plane, I just have half an hour or just one hour to change and go to the events and do a seminar or do tastings and then go later in the evening straight. So whatever you're wearing, you go straight into the night visiting bars. And I mean, you're just, you're drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking, you're drinking, you know? Um, but I can tell you this, no one could ever say they've seen me, you know, staggering into a bar because as a brand ambassador, I, I, I hold my position with that sense of, uh, of, of pride because I have to represent the, bar, the, the brand. You know, so when I walk into a bar, if I walk into your bar at the end of the night, if your bar is the last bar, I'm not going to enter into the bar staggering as uh, say, hey, I'm not I'm, 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 I, I need to walk in with a sense of professionalism, show you the right appreciation for enjoying the brand and using the brand. And, um, you know, so I'm always ensuring that I could deliver. Now, when I'm finished with that, you get back to the hotel three, four in the morning. And, you know, sometimes if it's if it's early enough, it might be two in the morning, but many times it's much later. And I would sleep for two, three hours and I would purposely get up and drink two liters of water at the gym. And the reason for that is because I know I have to go the next day and do it all over again. <laughs> and if I if I'm not hydrated, if I don't go to the to exercise, then then I'm not able to do that. So it's it's mentally, it's not that you just get to travel, you know, you have to make sure you represent the brand. I'm a I'm a marketing tool for the brand. So I have to really be able to be effective at what I do. So this is how your personal project uh, came to into fruition. Healthy body, healthy mind. Yes, correct. You're right, man. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm going to be sharing some more, especially now in the, in the next few weeks. You guys can can uh, stay tuned to my Instagram, Daniel Jones, uh, just my full name. And you will see that I'm going to be sharing a bit more on fitness and health because it's very important because we, we want to enjoy the product. We want to enjoy some rum. You want to enjoy some Angostura. You want to enjoy your great cocktails. Um, but you also have to be able to enjoy it. And for me, I, I always feel like taking care of you makes you, you know, makes you, makes it allows you to enjoy a lot more pleasures out here. Indeed. And, uh, You are a uh, very uh, a well-built guy, so I was very surprised <laughs> when I've uh, seen in an interview that you are 90% vegan. How does this work out for your lifestyle? Uh, well, I was vegan for two years. Okay. And um, yeah, so at that time, so this was before vegan veganism became this big trend that it is today. Um, Uh, you know, my wife and I, we were vegans for some time. And this was while I was on the island. And I really didn't get like, you know, I didn't get the, the organic eggs that easily like I could get here in, in France. You know, so it wasn't, you know, I, I didn't get all of that. I didn't have access to all of that that easily. So during that time, we became vegans and it was really good. I experimented with it and my body, I saw the change. I, I felt the difference and I learned a lot. So... When we came to France, that's when I um, I changed the diet a bit because I learned a bit more and I'm not going to change the conversation and anger anyone who is a vegan. Um, but I've, I've incorporated some of those principles because my vegan lifestyle was, I was in the gym. I was not trying, I was, I was still looking fit. You would think, you know, people would ask me, you know, what am I eating? They thought I was eating, you know, 10 steaks a week when I'm not even eating any meat. 
because my lifestyle as a vegan was more about protein, high protein vegan options. So with those options of being high protein, my vegan ex, my vegan um, my vegan ex, you know phase was not the average vegan style of eating just salads or just anything green or plant based. It was very high protein, so a lot of chickpeas, a lot of lentils, a lot of beans, uh, you know, chia seeds, a lot of seeds and stuff like that. Um, so now I do a lot more organic stuff. Um, so it's mixed, but the principle of being healthy is there. I'm not one to stick to a label. I, I love minimalist concepts. But I'm not going to take it to the extreme. I'm going to take a few elements from it, incorporate what I feel will make my life and improve my life, and that's what I do. So no vegan. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a flexitarian. I I eat anything that makes me smile, big man. But it's all about making sure that that I'm healthy. <laughs> well, you do look uh, you do look healthy, so no problem. Uh, thanks, man. Trying to make sure that the guns are still there. You know? <laughs> Speaking of which, um, I, I've seen that you have quite a few tattoos on your body. So I'm cu curious from uh, your tattoos, are uh, there any made with Jaguar ink? Yeah, people always feel like, you know, when they see the, the Polynesian art of my, because my, my, it's a full sleeve, you think that, you know, it's, um, it's, it's done traditionally in New Zealand. Uh, even my wife thought so the first time we met you, but um, it's not, you know, it's 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 a good artist uh, artist that did it for me. Um, but the inspiration really came from The Rock, you know, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I'm a big fan of Dwayne and, uh, you know, kind of kind of look like The Rock. Indeed, indeed a <laughs> from that angle, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm a big fan of The Rock and... Um, you know i wasn't really into tattoos like you know i just i, I saw him and i'm like that looks good man I like that and i started exploring it a bit more and decided to 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 go into it and get it for myself but it's not the same i did my own style you know my version um, but it was really inspired and then i did it my way so the tattoos are there i have uh you know i have also on my leg also same polynesian work so when you see it you kind of think you know people think oh yeah i'm probably a rugby player from new zealand i get up many times um you know when i had the the full mohawk uh you know many people thought i was an mma fighter uh so it, it varies <laughs> but you know <laughs> I, i like it man it's more um it's 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 just me embracing who i am um and you know there i can't say there's any meaning that i you know that it reflects it's just me being me and and you know in life i'm not afraid to explore like i said there's no failure you learn So I grow, I learn, I grow, I learn, and I get to enjoy the different phases of me. Okay, is it true that in uh, Trinidad there is a special fruit that you can make an uh, ink for tattoos? Yeah, yeah. So it's an, you, you'd find it on, in African countries. Now you have to remember that on the island, because sugarcane was uh, was a big thing, and this is why we have rum. Uh, you had you had that whole dark era of slavery, and you know it's we don't you know it's it's one of those dark conversations. Um, but just to give you a bit more insight, it's one of those fruits that really has a lot more African heritage. But the I say that, but it also has a lot of Indian heritage because it's called we call it on the island Ruku. It's it looks very like a like when you touch it, it has these spikes on it, and when you cut it open, it's a red dye. 
my mom uses it to this day for foods, you know, to add a bit of color to the food. And it's just, it's pure, it's natural. There's no chemicals and, you know, you could drink it if you'd like. Uh, Ruku is the name of it. If you go to some uh, African countries, you'd see that they put it on their faces. Or if you go to some places in India, they also put marks on their faces with the Ruku. Um, so it's pretty, pretty cool, man. I, when you think about it, I've never made a drink with Ruku. It could be something to think about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. I don't know if you can see on your camera, but I've made like a, a steered old fashioned with Angostura 1919. Yeah, man. I see you making up something there. Yeah. I want to ask you what you drinking. I saw the Angostura 7 pouring. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, my brother. <laughs> yeah. Th that was before now. It's Angostura 1919 with a bit of Amaro, the Angostura. Uh, Angostura awesome. cocoa bitters and orange bitters from Angostura as well. So I'm curious about this cocktail because I see you are doing a lot during your presentation. The Queen's yeah. Park Swizzle. What can you tell us mm. about this? Oh man, the Queen's Park Swizzle is one of those special cocktails for me. Like you, you, when you hear Brazil, you think a Caipirinha, you think when you hear Peru, you think the Pisco Sour. For us on the island of Trinidad and Tobago, we're working on making it the national cocktail but it's 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 known for us as the national cocktail and the reason for this is because it was the house cocktail at the famous queen's park hotel now this hotel at that time was one of the elite hotels and a very advanced hotel because it was one of the first hotels that had electricity so because we had the british influence you had a lot of dignitaries royal families coming to the to that hotel because you had electricity which meant that you had fans and you had cooling systems that can store ice so this cocktail was made and it looks like a hybrid of mojito but the technique of swizzling dates all the way back to circa 1830 and this is long before the cantineros of cuba was shaking cocktails this technique of swizzling was really introduced by the slaves and they would use a sassafras or an allspice branch to mix their food and drink. And eventually it went into just using the boilele stick. And this is why the swizzle sticks, they're very authentic swizzle sticks. They come in different sizes. So you have small, medium, it, it varies because it's just a branch of the tree. Um, but the, this, the cocktail itself became very popular. So you have dark rum. We use the Angostura 7 that we're drinking today. And you have fresh mint, lime juice. Um, we use Demerara syrup to add a bit more flavor inside there. Or you could use simple syrup if you'd like to give it a nice clear kind of mixed color. And you have a lot, a lot of big boy dashes. Something like six to eight dashes of Angostura aromatic bitters. <laughs> now the technique of swizzling really integrates the cocktail and the glass. So the cocktail and the glass becomes one. So you have now the, the swizzling technique that chills the drink and dilutes it. And this is why it's so special. Now, what makes it really special for me is the fact that Trader Vic, one of the godfathers of the tiki cocktail culture, he came to Trinidad purposely to try the famous Queen's Park Swizzle. And in his book of Trader Vic, Food and Drink, declared the Queen's Park Swizzle as the most delightful form of anesthesia given today. Now that is some Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 
Uh, I'm guess you know by now. If you go to Raffles Hotel in Singapore and you ask for a Singapore sling, it's not so good. In uh, Bodeguita del Medio, the uh, mojito mm, is pretty decent. What about the uh, the Queen Park Swizzle? Is it good when you ask for it in Trinidad? Well, I like that you say the mojito is pretty decent. You're being you're being nice. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me. I'll tell you. I had the best mojito experience with the worst mojito, but it's it was the best mojito experience at La Bogadita. Now they're not because they're not using fresh ingredients. They have all these tourists that are coming in, and you know, so they're just using pre-mix and just you know branches, everything that goes into the glass to get the mojitos out. But I'll tell you this: the experience, the mojito experience, what by the bartender was one of the best for me, and this is why. You always have to remember, man. It's not only about the quality of the cocktail; it's your, it's the, the level, the quality of your hospitality behind it. And this is why I always like to employ that sense of passion and love behind Angostura. The quality of the product is there, so we just need the bartenders like you, like the many of you who are listening out there, to really give that love behind it. So yeah, so for me, um, you, you give them a nice little, a nice little thumbs up. Um, but the mojito is the experience is great. Um, in terms of Trinidad and the Queen's Park Swizzle, because we we promote the Queen's Park Swizzle with the Angostura seven year old, and we have the Swizzle six available on the island. When you come to get it on the island, it's going to be good. All right. If it's not good, believe me, you can easily get a bartender on the island to make a good Queen's Park Swizzle for you. If not, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to show you something. I'm a bit of a fan of swizzle stickers, swizzle sticks as well. Yeah. And here, I don't know if you can see it. You can, you can see it, but uh, at the final yeah. video, you will get to see it. Here, mm -hmm. I have a 1980 Angostura branded swizzle stick. Wow, that's I, too cool, my brother. I got it on eBay. I, uh, you wow. know, you said earlier about research. I bought it before the Angostura Global Cocktail Challenge in Romania because I know you're being you're going to be in the the judge the judging wow. panel. So I bought it just to to impress you. And That's what incredible. what I like this uh, about this is that let one moment. Uh, I will ask my colleague to make a, a closer. Uh, yeah. This part in the front. Here in the left hand, I have a uh, traditional boalele, you know, the Quaribia Turbinata. Yeah. And this is from eBay, the Angostura one. And it's not the same. It's very, very no, different. It's not. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about the, the swizzling technique because you said in an interview that first you, you've witnessed swizzling when your mother was doing a very traditional dish in Trinidad. And yeah. after uh, watching the world class competition, I don't know, I think in 2015 there was a bartender from trinidad and tobago i think his name is scott if yes, i yes scott yeah and he had uh, at the uh, global finals he made a drink with uh, with a swizzle stick that was half wood half metal and he said that metal, that, yeah. that was mm -hmm. the original swizzle stick so that uh, piqued my interest i've never got to the chance to get mm -hmm. one and see it in real life but maybe you can shed a bit of light on this matter yeah, of course, man. Of course. Well, firstly, I'm going to try and get one of those swizzle sticks to you. Oh, wow. I'll get, you know, get my, I'll get my, 
I'll get my mom to set up two, one for me and one for you. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so, you know, they, I remember we did um, our Tales of the Cocktails. We did something called the ethnology of swizzle sticks because there's so many different types of swizzle sticks out there. You have Argentinian style, you have Mexican styles. You, you know, swizzle sticks have been something that they've been using a long time ago to mix uh, things like hot chocolate. You know, so hot chocolate was a big, it was a popular drink. Chocolate tea was popular. Uh, chocolate in its pure state is known as an aphrodisiac. So when you had the, you know, the Spaniards coming to the, the islands, when they, they heard about that, or even the British, they would take the chocolate back, the cocoa, and they would have what you call chocolate parties. Because everyone was just drinking chocolate, hot chocolate, you know, they were just drinking chocolate. Uh, because they knew that it was an aphrodisiac and it had that that feel. So to mix that, you would use a swizzle stick. And, you know, so whatever whatever element of style that you use. If you ever saw the Mexican swizzle stick, I it's have very one. thick. I, I have one. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it's very thick and it's different. Like you can't put the Mexican swizzle stick into a Queen's Park swizzle. No. no. <laughs> it, just, it doesn't work. But the Boilele or the one that you have that's branded with Angostura that has that prong, definitely could work because you're using crushed ice inside here. So I love the technique because I feel like it's a lot more, there's a lot more ritual to it. You know, with when you look at bartending, the trends of bartending are influenced by big influences. So yeah, you know, we, we went from doing a Japanese hard shake to, you know, to double shaking and then from double shaking to, to rolling a cocktail, you know, to having the longest roll that you could do, you know, I don't know how long your arms could stretch, but you know, Simone you can spin it. style. Yeah, exactly, man. So you have these big influences that uh, that really help fashion some of these trends. But yeah, a lot of trends out there, and and this is why I would say, you know, don't be afraid to be unique. Don't be afraid to express who you are. You know, and it's important. Yeah, so many cultural things, and uh, you talk about that swizzle stick, and that swizzle stick was a hybrid of what the swizzle stick was so okay no longer could you get the the, the prong from the tree so if i could get wood and i use metal to mimic that then i could have a, uh, something like a swizzle stick so the the one that scott used in world class is what we use today it is a swizzle stick that has metal prongs on the end and it's pretty nice it's pretty cool because we use it for food not for drink but I'm sure you can get a small one, a small size that you could probably use for drink. But on the island, there's a popular dish that we use, we use it for. It, uh, it's called Kalaloo. So it's a medley of greens that you melt into a pot with coconut milk and some squash or pumpkin. And, you know, you put some peppers inside there and everything just melts up. And when it's nice and soft, you take the swizzle stick and my mom would say, go swizzle the Kalaloo. And you take the swizzle stick and you, you swizzle it, all right? Now you have a cuisinato, a KitchenAid handheld blender, and you're finished. <laughs> but there's something, there's nice theater and a ritual to swizzling the, the, you know, you're putting the love inside it, man. And that's why I always love to do the swizzle technique for cocktails. You think that people just love to see a shaking cocktail. And that's good, you know, you see the different styles, different styles. Everyone has their style of shaking a cocktail. But the technique of swizzling, it's not as easy as you think. I've seen some good bartenders not not do too well swizzling, man. <laughs> and I'll tell you. <laughs> so I can tell you this confidently. Make sure you practice your swizzling technique. 
there are two styles of swizzling. Uh, I feel like I have to grab a swizzle stick to do this. Yeah, so sure, I'm just no gonna problem. step across and grab one. So I brought two, two here so you can see you have, you know, a big and a small, right? But this is my personal, which is a bit smaller because it fits into the glass and I have it torched a bit, you know, to okay. give a, a nice smell because the wood has this smell to it, which is what I like. So to swizzle, I love to share two techniques. You put your hand together, you clasp. Now what I love to do, there are two techniques. One is called tango. Tango is where both hands are moving together like you're dancing. <laughs> all right okay the next technique is called the bachelor only one side moves <laughs> <laughs> all right so you have to decide because what you want to do is control the movement of the ice in the glass you're not just going to be going wild because what eventually happens those pellets of ice become missiles to your guests all right, you guess it's going to be like like Neo on the Matrix, just dodging ice pellets. <laughs> so you want to make sure you control it. So try those two techniques. See which one works for your style or your physique, you know, and how you can reach the glass. And you'll see what I'm talking about. It's, it's really cool. So whenever you hear the churning of it, like... You're hearing that and you're seeing the drink in front of you and you're seeing the glass getting nice and frosted because the drink is is becoming one with the glass it's like it's theater it's theater right and you get to build this in front of the guest in front of the eyes you know and when you finish with that now you garnish it with the mint and you know you put the dashes of bitters right on top of this and all you do you slide it to them oh yeah that's, <laughs> that's for you <laughs> yeah. very nice man so you were talking earlier about the chocolate parties that are that were going on. So they, this brings us to my next question, which is related with this very nice fellow called Angostura yes. Cocoa Bitters. So first, I am curious because Angostura Cocoa Bitters is made with 100% Trinitario Cocoa beans, which are known mm. to be the best in the world. But yeah. But as you know, being the best comes with a price. So how do you maintain a fair price for your bitters, but using such expensive raw materials in the same time? Yeah. Well, you know, the pricing, the pricing side of things, I, I really can't um, share much because I, I don't know much in terms of how it's structured. I can tell you that in some parts of the world, yes, the product is going to be a lot more expensive. And this has a lot to do with the legislation on the land, you know, what level of tax brackets that are placed on the product. So for instance, Trinidad and Tobago is very close to South America, but yet the bitters, the cost of bitters right there is pretty expensive. And that's only because of the legislation right there. So I have a lot of friends from different bars who would let me know, hey man, you know, the price is different here and, and I understand. So we were all working to make sure that we can get the product moving because Angostura Aromatic Bitters is the most globally distributed cocktail ingredient in the world, which means, you know, we distribute over 145 countries globally. And when you consider the fact that there are just about 191 countries in the world, that's a huge, you know, a huge number of countries to distribute to. 
But I can tell you this, you go to any bar in the world, even if you go to Iceland, Iceland, Rika, Iceland, you will still find a bottle of Angostura bitters. Mm. So yes, I know that the price has a, has a part to play and we're working on that. We're working on ensuring that we can bring that balance to give that quality. Um, um, but I can say this, the bars ensure that that quality is always there. Good bars ensure the quality is always there because I think that's key. And the fact that we maintain that consistency, meaning any bartender who picks up a bottle of Angostura bitters, they don't question the product. They know. They know that it's going to deliver what it did yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So there's a trust in the house of Angostura. And we always work on ensuring that that integrity is always delivered. This is why we've never changed a recipe for the bitters today. We still maintain the legacy of Dr. Johann Siegert. So it's gluten-free, sodium-free, kosher certified. It's it's vegan-friendly because there's no bee pollen inside of it. This is something incredible. The orange bitters that we have in the portfolio is one of the best. And I say this confidently because I know that the quality is there. When you do a comparison to any orange bitters out there, to the Angostura orange bitters, you see the difference. It's like essential oils versus essences. And I'm happy to know this because you guys have that trust in Angostura. And we, we work really hard to ensure that that caliber is always delivered. So the rums, the rums on our portfolio are incredible. We have the largest range of award-winning rums, meaning each of the rums have won accolades and awards on their own. We have the most expensive rum in the world, uh, Legacy by Angostura. So it's it's a really a milestone for us to now walk into this new bitters story, new bitters chapter for Angostura. The Cocoa Bitters has a heritage, or Cocoa on the island has a heritage just as long as the rum. My, my grand uncle has um, one of the largest Cocoa estates on the island. And I always remember when I got my first bottle of the Cocoa Bitters and I opened the bottle, you know, let me just, let me just do a quick grab here. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love to, I love to have a little bit of visuals also. So I remember opening the bottle and when I opened the, my first bottle of the Cocoa Bitters and I smelt it, I just got this flashback. You know, you see in the movies, you just go flashback. And I remember walking on the rooftop of my grand uncle's cocoa estate where you would have the cocoa beans sun drying and that the smell the smell brought me back now this was not a thought that i had just walking around but the moment i got the aroma of the cocoa bitters that brought me back to that moment and i, I share this with you because the quality is there now we have distributors from around the world who will determine the price on in the market respectively and that is a negotiation that will be done by the the companies on the island or the the markets sorry so you know to answer the question uh we're working on making sure that the quality is delivered um from that side of it i can tell you that nothing is questionable there <laughs> uh, in terms of the price that is out there it's going to be competitive based on the market based on the economy and these are factors that we have to consider so i can't really give you anything much other than that but I can tell you about the quality of the bitters. I can tell you that it is dear. And the fact that we use the Trinitario cocoa beans, it's one of the finest cocoa beans in the world. Chocolatiers around the world attest to this. 
It's the hybrid of the Corellia and the Forestaria cocoa, cocoa cacao pods. So it really has the best of it. And Trinidad and Tobago is, this is, it, the Trinitaria cocoa beans are native to the island, meaning that it's indigenous. It comes from the island. You can get it in a few other places like Madagascar or different parts of the world, but we have access to the Trinitaria cocoa beans. Knowing this, this allows us to do what we do best and create an incredible bitters. So the Angostura cocoa bitters using the Trinitaria cocoa beans is a huge, is a huge project. And what makes this even better for me is that all, all of the cocoa beans that we get comes from the local farmers on the island. It's a huge sustainability project. The farmers, they grow the Theobroma cocoa trees that produce the Trinitaria cocoa pods. And they harvest, they ferment it for five to seven days. And the harvesting and the fermenting is done very artisanal. They take a wooden knife, it's like a wooden knife, and they split the cocoa pod in half, open it up. They put that nice, the, the cacao pods inside of a bin that's layered in banana leaves. And they leave it to just ferment. They come and they mix it up every other day for five to seven days. When it's finished fermenting, they put it on the rooftop because we have, the, we have access to the warm sun. So it's done very traditionally and artisanally where they retract the roof so that it can be exposed to the sun and they leave the beans to sun dry. There's a big difference in sun dry. No one says, let me get an oven dried tomato. <laughs> Try a sun dried tomato, big man. That's what you want. <laughs> now that's an experience. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, the cocoa beans are great, yeah. I was curious, uh, regarding the Angostura bitters recipe, that, uh, you said in an interview that there are only five persons that know the whole recipe. So furthermore, yeah. these five persons had pledged not to travel by plane together or to be in the same restaurant. So yeah. my my question is, how hard is in this modern day and age with all the current techniques of surveillance to protect a recipe like that? So, and to your knowledge, have you ever had any intellectual property attacks at the Angostura recipe? Well, you know what, man? It's a good thing we have the law. <laughs> <laughs> the law is what keeps it intact, my brother. <laughs> Uh, we have five people who know the recipe and I'm positive throughout the years we've had, um, you know, other people because the recipe has been a secret for almost 200 years. I mean, you know, sad to say we've had some people who it, it, it's been a long time. And when you think about that, you understand that there is a lot of stringency. There's a lot of protocol that goes in, like you said, to be able to maintain this in this modern time. Knowing this, I think, you know, I think my best guess would be that there's a huge legal binding to those who know the secret. Unfortunately, I'm not one of them <laughs> as yet. Yet. As yet. yet. <laughs> I will get there. <laughs> What about the Angostura Legacy? Have you tried it, tasted it? Oh, man. I always see the bottle and I, <laughs> I, I have this 
I, I have this I have this vision and one day I will try it. Now Ian Burrell told me at the beginning of last year that he has a small vial of it that he that he's gonna give to me. So I'm gonna remind him of that after this conversation. Yeah, I'm gonna okay. drop him a message. Uh, Ian Burrell is a global the global rum ambassador. I'm gonna drop him a message, but not to date. I've not tried it because only 20 bottles of legacy were made. It's the most expensive rum in the world. A blend of the perfect number of seven rums coming together. Uh, the youngest in each of these rums was 17 years old. The bottle was done by Asprey of London with a platinum finish to the top um, with the symbol of the butterfly and the sugar cane from the island. So it was just, it, it was really magnificent. And the, you know, the master still got an opportunity to showcase his craftsmanship. This rum, all of the proceeds went to charity. So, you know, it's it's something that is just really beautiful. Um, the starting price was 25,000 euros. And it was done at auctions, which meant that's the starting price. And, you know, you just bid. All the big boys, they, 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 they know how to take it up. I'll give you a quick story, right? So in Russia, when they did it, um, a Russian guy purchases the bottle. The next day, a lifestyle magazine calls him and says, hey, we'd like to do an interview with you. He was like, okay. Uh, we'd like to also take a photo of you with the bottle uh, for this uh, for this interview. He's like, ah, I drank it last night. <laughs> oh. Oh. So, I, yeah, I'll tell you something, man. Oh. When I heard that story, now this is true. Right? This is real stuff, right? When I heard that story, now this guy paid a lot of money for it, right? And I, was, I said, you know, to be honest with you, big man, that if I were ever to purchase that bottle, I would do the same thing. Because I've learned something significant. Like the beauty of rum for me, I, I don't, our limited editions, I don't even have them. Because I love to enjoy the rum with good friends and create great memories. And for me, uh, you know, it's not an investment. I'm not trying to resell the rums. Uh, you know, I just enjoy the vibe of it. And this is why when people say to me, what is the best rum? I always say to them, whichever rum puts a smile on your face, that's the rum you want to drink. And it's true. And that's why, for me, Angostura does that. I can do a tasting of all the rums, and I know that there would be a rum on the portfolio that would make everyone in the room smile. Yeah, man, that's very, very good advice. <laughs> so we are almost at the end now, and I would like to end this conversation with a question. Ah that we've just uh, started to talk about at the beginning. You said that you wanted to have your own restaurant and I've seen uh, on internet that you are almost ready to open two different locations in two different countries with two different friends. Is that accurate? Sorry, you open different locations? Two different locations in two different uh, countries with some friends. Yeah, so that was, uh, you know, when I moved up to, to France, I started working towards that. So I was in a discussion with some friends and um, we were we were putting together, we started looking at locations, started, you know, seeking out investors and, you know, to start, um, to start this project. Unfortunately, the project did not get off the ground to date. Um, and I will say for me, like I said, there is nothing like failure. It's always a learning, you, you're learning. I hope you guys take note of that you know it's learning and i have a new vision a new project that i'm working towards 
and of course i'm going to share more with you because i would uh i would you know i would make sure that you know it's 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 marketed properly but as for now it's evolved from there so it's no longer that but it's something else but because of that it got me to where i am today you know so um i always believe in evolution man <laughs> you the moment you get up you whenever you're running a race have you ever seen those races you you know you look at so many races olympics to whoever you follow whoever your fans of and they're impressive whenever they win but you know what really impresses me is the person who runs the race and they fall have you ever seen those those yeah, videos yeah, where yeah. someone falls and they get up and in that moment when they get up they have a decision to make do i stay down or do i get up and continue running and it's not they're not finished yet they get up and they continue to run but they decide to run faster now when people see them running they have the, they they're, they're behind they're behind so everyone is okay good job good job you're you're a good sportsman or a good sportswoman but that person who is running they run so fast that they win the race and that is the fastest they have ever run but it's not going to be on the pr it's not going to be a personal record on file but in their life that would have been the fastest they would have ever run and this is why for me sometimes awards and you know when you look for these accolades sometimes you could be a bit distracted always acknowledge your personal awards always acknowledge your personal milestone and award yourself and this is why you know for me i i feel like for me my success comes in different ways when i get to meet people like you mihai when i get to to really experience certain things you know i'm i'm thankful that and, and that is i think one of the key elements to it appreciating uh, the simple things is very important for me wow you are truly an inspiration man <laughs> <laughs> so uh i wanted to ask you two more things uh, one about yeah. uh, about racing because here i have a question that i mm. forgot to ask you and it's something very specific to trinidad and tobago and it's called mm. buco goat race have you done that in your childhood times you know i'll tell you something big man we have trinidad and we have tobago and there's a bit of rivalry between them both okay all right <laughs> so the people on the island of trinidad because it's not it's industrialized so you have all the big buildings uh looking like dubai well not as dubai but you know dubaiish with you know a lot of uh, <laughs> big restaurants and stuff like that and then you have tobago and tobago is where you really get that island vibe so when you go to tobago you see people walking around in nice little swimsuits and stuff like that this casual flip flops but you come to trinidad that's not a thing you don't go out in your flip flops you you're you're it's work you know um so there's a bit of rivalry because we actually speak differently when you go to the island of tobago there's an accent that's different from the trinidadian accent okay legally it's one country trinidad and tobago but i'm from trinidad um uh, so whenever i go to tobago you can hear the difference and the culture is actually different so there are a lot of experiences that uh that a tobagonian will experience that a trinidadian will not experience it's not the same okay uh, so it's one of those unique elements and only when you come to visit so when you're coming mihai because you're going to visit you love angostura too much man you're going to yeah. come to visit someday it's, it's going to happen fingers crossed <laughs> 
It's gonna happen. And make sure when that when it's happening, whenever that time comes, that you let me know in advance because I'm your personal tour guy. Okay. And this is one thing. This is one thing I'll tell you, which I always tell everyone: if you're coming to Trinidad, you also have to go to Tobago. All okay. right. So this year, you have to experience both, and this is what makes Trinidad and Tobago one of the best experiences because you get to experience both. You get to experience the culture really refined with a sense of finesse on Trinidad. And then you also get to go to Tobago where you get a bit more of the island, the the, the, the nice rich island vibe, uh, which is what you know people expect when they come to the islands. So I love it, you know, I love the mix of them both. But goat race, nah big man, I uh, wasn't, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of country stuff because I'm from the countryside. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make fun in any way of, of a goat race. But when I look at it from, you know, on television, I'm like, how how do they get the goats to run in a straight line? Like, you know, like, I just, <laughs> like how? Like, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was very curious also. So uh, now we are almost at the end. I think we are at the end. What are your plans for the future, personal and professional wise? Uh, personal. I would start with that and I would say for me, I'm at a place where I want my dreams to grow. I want to have a bigger vision to grow, you know, and it's important. I'm I'm sharing this particular one for anyone who's listening right now, because what we experienced in last in 2020 uh, that has, you know, come over to this year is you, you, either your dreams have grown bigger or they've been challenged to not grow. And I want to say to anyone who's listening right now or seeing this through your channels and your creativity, allow your dreams to grow. Remind yourself about how to dream, how to think about something big. Don't don't limit yourself because it's easy for someone to say no because it's not their dream. It's yours. Whatever you imagine, you said it, Mihai, what you see in your hand, that's what can become reality. And what you see in your hand is what you see here. And only you can see it. If you tell me your dream, Mihai, I can't. I can't say it's going to be successful because I'm not seeing it. I could see my dream. I could have. I have my imagination up here. So anyone who has been challenged during 2020 into, you know, especially in our industry, I want to remind you that nothing is impossible. Okay. So keep dreaming. That's what I'm doing right now. For my personal life, I'm sharing that small part with you guys in terms of business i will say that um i'm doing like you me i'm aiming to be creative uh one of those platforms is sharing a bit more about my experience i've been a global brand ambassador from day one it was a global brand ambassador rule and this is what i still do to this day you know people think that i'm making angostura bitters in my own kitchen <laughs> uh, <you know? laughs> and i'm honored by that i'm very thankful for that Um, but you know, it's, um, I've, I've had a lot of experiences and I would love to share that. So I'm working on creating platforms for that experience, you know, so I'm going to keep you posted with upcoming news and, and share a bit more, but that's, that's the goal. I, you know, I can't divulge too much right now, but, um, really sharing a bit more because I feel like that's what I can bring with value. I can share some of my experiences that may help you. Uh, anyone who's looking grow in the future in your course to being a bartender or brand ambassador uh, globally. Well, I think this is the perfect way to end our session. So yeah, 
Thank you very much for your time and for your dedication and for everything that you are doing for our industry. So awesome, awesome. You are let, let, me make, inspiration. Let, me, let me make one plug in here, big man. Okay. Let me make one plug in. Anyone <laughs> who's watching this, you're one person. You're one person. Share this. Share it. That's all you have to do. How It's not going to take much to share. And I'm saying this because Mihai is my brother. Okay. <laughs> all right. We drank together. We are brothers. Okay. So you guys, I'm even not saying it. I am saying it to you guys. <laughs> share it. Share it with the community. That's all. It doesn't cost you anything to share, to like, uh, to comment. Share some good vibes. Don't write anything negative. Don't even put that out in the universe. Don't waste your time with negativity. Okay? <laughs> Only positive vibes, all right? So make sure you share it, okay? Don't just look at this. Like and share with your friends, your colleagues, all right? Let's make sure we put some good positivity. He's doing some good stuff here, guys. Big man of respect. Thank you very much, and I raise my glass to you, man. <laughs> Cheers, my Cheers. brother. Marok.